Take your Bibles, turn to the book of Revelation, chapter 1, please. Let's start reading in verse 1. <clears throat> the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him, to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John, who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all the things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of the prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein for the times at hand. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you, peace from which, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, from which is and which was and which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is a faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Folks, tonight I'm going to begin a series of messages through the book of the Revelation entitled, The King is Coming. Now the reason that I'm using that title for the series, The King is Coming, is pretty self-explanatory because that's the entire theme of the book of Revelation. Sometimes, you know, people say, well, I... I just wonder, what's this world coming to? Well, I can tell you what it's coming to. This world's coming to Christ. You see, this world, bowling ball, hurling down the alley of the universe, is headed to the king. And the kingpin's name is Jesus. Now, all of history, and you've probably heard this before, is actually his story. Now, the first chapter of the book of the Revelation is the beginning of the end. Genesis chapter 1, the first book in the Bible, the first chapter, introduces us to how this world began. Revelation 1, that introduces us to how it's all going to end. In Genesis, we have the commencement of heaven and earth. In Revelation, we have the consummation of heaven and earth. In Genesis, we have the entrance of sin. In Revelation, we have the exit of sin. In Genesis, we have the dawn of Satan. In Revelation, we have the doom of Satan. Matter of fact, somebody pointed this out some time ago and said, uh, do you realize <clears throat> there's no devil in the first two chapters of the Bible or in the last chapters of the Bible? Satan's gone. Now, in Genesis, sorrow begins. Revelation, sorrow is banished. In Genesis, death makes its entrance. In Revelation, death makes its exit. Now, God had started what he started in time in the first book of the Bible, God is going to finish in eternity in the last book of the Bible. Now, understand, the Lord did not give the book of the Revelation in order to hide the truth, but rather to reveal the truth. Now, John the Apostle, who wrote five books in the Bible, actually more than any other Bible writer except for the Apostle Paul, John wrote five books, and he wrote them and put them there together, actually, in sets of, of three, or three sets, I guess is what I'm trying to say. He wrote the gospel, then he wrote three epistles, first, second, then he wrote the book of the Revelation. Now, in the gospel, what John does, he presents Christ as the Savior. 
In the epistles, he represents and presents Christ as the Son. But in the book of the Revelation, he presents Jesus Christ as the Sovereign. John wrote the gospel to convert the sinner. He wrote the epistles to confirm the saints, but he wrote the book of the Revelation to comfort the sufferers. Now, I can tell you whether or not you're a saint or a sinner just by the book of the Revelation. You say, how can you do that? Well, if you're a sinner, the book of the Revelation is a book of vengeance. If you're a saint, it's a book of victory. If you're a sinner, the book of Revelation is a book of judgment. If you're a saint, it's a book of joy. If you're a sinner, uh, you dread the future. If you're a saint, you desire the future, and your attitude is like John, and you say, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Now, somebody years ago asked the late, great Dr. Billy Graham whether he was a pessimist or an optimist. And with a big smile, he said, well, he said, of course, I'm an optimist. They said, in the world as bad as it is, and everything going wrong like it is, you can say you're an optimist? He said, well, of course I can. He said, I've read the last book in the Bible. We win. Now, let me, let me assure you something. If you are a child of the living God, then you're indeed on the winning side. <clears throat> now, John, the apostle, begins this uh, marvelous and outstanding book by doing everything he can to help ease us into the study. And I think that John knew that that we were going to need in years to come, that people were going to need a little bit of help and guidance in the study of the only prophetic book in the New Testament. So, John, right from the start, he gives three things to motivate us, to inspire and help us study the book of the Revelation. Now, the first thing that he does, he gives us some identification. Now, John identifies folks aspects of the book that we need to grasp because they'll help guide us in understanding the book and applying it to our lives. And the first identification that John gives, look in verse 1, he gives the identification of the subject of the book. Because he begins in verse 1 and says that this book is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now let me ask you a question. How many of you have got the King James Bible out there? Okay, look at the top of the page. In my King James Bible... As the revelation of St. John the Divine. Does your Bible... Okay, that's not right. It's not the revelation of St. John, friend. Of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the key to understanding the book of Revelation. As a matter of fact, He's the key to understanding the entire Word of God. Now, I want you to notice, and I mean nothing bad about the King James... But they just put the revelation of St. John the Divine because John was a human author. But it's not the revelation of John. Keep this in mind. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. And I want you to keep this in mind as we study through the book of the Revelation. It's all about Jesus Christ. You have to keep that in mind, okay? Now, having said that, let me say this, that Jesus is the key to understanding the book of the Revelation. As a matter of fact... He's the key to really understanding the entire Word of God. Now, again, notice it says revelation singular, not revelations plural. The Greek word for revelation is the word, <coughs> excuse me, is the word apocalypsis. It, it, it literally means an unveiling. Uh, it means an uncovering. For example, suppose that the city of they hired a sculptor to make a, a beautiful sculpture statue. And so he made the statue. They brought it down to middle of town, and they covered it with a canvas, had it tied up with a cord. Then the day come, 
when they were going to show the statue to everybody, and the sculptor steps up on the platform, he grabs a hold of the rope, just falls to the ground, and the statue's revealed in all of its radiant glory. Well, that's the picture that this word revelation paints. This is a book about the unveiling, the uncovering of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, folks, we're sometimes told, and I know you've heard this, that revelation, it's very hard to understand. It's very hard to understand. Well, and I'm going to say what I said this morning. If that's true, then this book has the wrong title to it. It shouldn't be titled Revelation. It ought to be titled The Mystery. But listen to me. God did not write a book to cover up the truth, rather to uncover the truth. Now, I want you to grasp this. And I want you to remember this. There are two books in the Bible that the devil absolutely hates. One is the book of Genesis. The other is the book of Revelation. See, Satan, what he wants us to do, he wants us to think that Genesis is a myth and Revelation is a mystery. Now, neither one of those statements, folks, is true. The book of Revelation only becomes a mystery when you focus on the parts instead of the whole. So I'm going to say it again. It's all about Jesus Christ. Remember this. The book of the Revelation, it's not about beasts or numbers or... or or trumpets or curses or plagues. Oh my. It's all those things, folks. The book is about the Lord Jesus Christ. Never ever separate the person from the prophecy. The book <coughs> of the Revelation is really a hymn book. H-I-M. It's a hymn book. Revelation is not primarily about what's going to happen. And this is where a lot of folks make the mistake in reading and studying the book of the Revelation. They get so wrapped up in what's happen, they overlook Who's coming? That's the important point. That's the important part. You see, in the Gospels, the glory of Jesus was veiled. It was covered. In fact, John 17, 5, Jesus prayed this. And said, Now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. When Jesus left heaven, he laid aside that his, his majestic and His wonderful, splendid glory that He might dwell here on earth among us as a man. For example, take His half-brother James. They grew up in the same house together in Nazareth. But James did not comprehend that Jesus was the Son of God. Even though Jesus, as a child, was still perfect in His character, perfect in His conversation and His conduct. But here in the book of Revelation, Jesus is presented, folks, it's not covered. His glory is not covered. It's unveiled. His glory, He's shown in all that grandeur and all that greatness. In the Gospels, we see the gentle Jesus, meek and mild. That's not the picture we get in the book of the Revelation. Matter of fact, look at verse 13 of chapter 1. 13 through 16. This is the picture of Jesus that Revelation paints. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps, or his chest with a golden girdle, or a golden sash, or belt. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes were as a flame of fire. And his feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace. And his voice as the sound of many waters. Verse 16. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. And his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. Or he looked, he appeared as the sun and all of its radiance, and all of its glory, and all of its power. Me, friend, when Jesus came the first time, he came to a cradle. When he comes the second time, he's coming with the clouds. 
When he came the first time, he came to a tree. The second time, it's going to be a throne. When he came the first time, he came to a crucifixion. When he comes this time, it's going to be to a coronation. When he came the first time, he died in shame, friend. When he comes the second time, he's going to reign in splendor. When he came the first time, he came to a cradle. This next time, he's coming with a crown. When he came the first time, he stood before Pilate. When he comes again, Pilate's going to stand before him. When he came the first time, folks, the Jews rejected him as a criminal. But when he comes the second time, they're going to receive him as the Christ. This is the Jesus that the book of the Revelation shows and talks about. Next, John gives us the source of the book. Look again at verse 1. This is a revelation which God gave. The revelation of God the Son comes from God the Father. In fact, notice, the revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave unto Him. Now, folks, what this is saying, it's not only a revelation about the Lord Jesus, but a revelation given to the Lord Jesus. So understand, God did not give the revelation primarily He inspired John to record the revelation that he gave to the Son. That is why you can rest assured that this book is true. You can rest assured that we can know that everything that's spoken about in the book of the Revelation is going to be fulfilled because God's the only one that knows the future. Now, I realize we have folks today that they see soothsayers and, and palm readers and astrologers and crystal ball people and and the horoscope people and all the jokers that claim they can forecast the future. Let me tell you something. Them knuckleheads came and tell you what they had for breakfast yesterday, much less the future. But I'm going to tell you, God can and God does in this book. Because, folks, understand it this way. The rivers of time, somebody said this, the rivers of time guided by the banks of God's sovereignty flow into the sea of God's eternal purpose. You say, what does that mean? That means God controls the future. God's the source of this revelation. You say, well, I thought John wrote it. Well, John is is the the writer, but God's the author of it. Now, you've heard me preach on this. The Bible is not a word about God from man to men. Oh, no, folks. The Bible is the word of God through man to men. Now, look at the third identification John gives. He talks about the students of this book. Again, in verse 1. The revelation was given to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. That word servant literally means bond slave. Now, the primary characteristic of a slave is they're owned by somebody else. And according to what we just read here, in this case, it means servants we're owned by the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, from that, let me say this. The truth of the book of the Revelation will only be revealed to those who are under the lordship of Jesus Christ. It's only revealed to those who are committed to the person of Christ and submitted to the purpose of Christ. You can only understand the book of the Revelation if you belong to Jesus Christ. Now there are people who say, well, I know all about it. I can, I can name the dates, I can times, I can do that. Blah, 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 blah. Nope. You don't know nothing if you don't know Jesus. Because you cannot understand this book unless you understand the one who not only authored this book, but who this book's about. Matter of fact, let me say this. If you're not a Christian, you're not able to understand this book at all. And I'll take it even further. If you're not a Christian, really, you're not able to understand any book in the Bible. 
The reason I say that, you can't understand it because you're reading somebody else's mail. You see, I've told you before, this entire book is a love letter that God has written to his children. And if you're not one of his kids, you're reading somebody else's mail. You're not going to understand it. The only part you're going to understand is that you're a sinner in need of salvation. And Jesus Christ can save you if you surrender your life to him. Paul puts it this way. 1 Corinthians 2, 14. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness unto him, nor can he know them because they're spiritually discerned. Jeremiah in the Old Testament, Jeremiah 5, verse 21, speaks of foolish people without understanding who have eyes that see not and ears that hear not. Now, if you're not a Christian, you might get some interesting facts as you read Revelation. You might learn some, uh, you know, wonderful, titillating truths, but you're not going to see God because you're spiritually blind. And you're not going to hear God because you're spiritually deaf. Again, verse 1 says, And God's servants are going to be shown things which must shortly come to pass. Now, the word shortly gives us our English word, tachometer. We know what tachometer is, the instrument used to measure speed or measure velocity. The word literally means speedily. When it says shortly, it means speedily. John's not saying these things are going to happen immediately. What he is saying is when they do happen, they're going to happen extreme, extremely quickly. Uh, in rapid fire sequence, God's program for the ages is going to come to a conclusion. Now look at the next, the final identification John gives again in verse 1. The symbolism of the book. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John. Now the word signify, the word signify, that can best be understood by pronouncing it as it is spelled. Oklahoma way. Signified. S-I-G-N. Sign. It means to be explained by signs or symbols. But, let me say this. Do you realize many of the signs and symbols in the book of the Revelation are explained or interpreted by referring back to the Old Testament and to the rest of the New Testament? Matter of fact, folks, there are over 300 references to the Old Testament found in the book of the Revelation. Now, I say that because too many Christians neglect the Old Testament and they read only the New Testament and they do so... uh, Folks, they do so to their own ignorance and shame. I don't know how else to put it. Because you cannot fully understand the New Testament without a solid grasp of the Old Testament. Now, why do you think it is that as a pastor that I preach and teach on the whole counsel of God's Word? Not just in the New Testament, but the Old Testament alike. Because you can't understand one without the other. You need a firm grasp of all of it. Somebody put it this way. The new is in the old contained. The old is by the new explained. The new is in the old concealed. The old is by the new revealed. The new is in the old foreshown. The old is in the new full grown. Now, I know you've heard this before, but always, always remember the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible itself. And here's a simple truth for you, and I want you to remember this too. The best way to understand any of the Bible is to study all the Bible. Because God's his own interpreter, all right? God, he'll make it plain. Now, this raises a question. And this message, this study tonight, this message is more of a a foundational, getting us started, getting us ready for the book of the Revelation. It raises a question. Since this book, folks, is a book of symbols and signs, do we interpret this book literally or symbolically? The answer is yes. 
And let me explain it to you. We're going to interpret this book literally when the literal sense makes good sense. Okay? But I also want to say this, even when we come to a passage to be interpreted symbolically, (coughs) folks, I want you to remember that even symbolic language gives literal truth which we are to literally obey. For instance, think about this. Jesus said on one occasion, He said, I am the door. Now, we know that Jesus is not a literal door. But the fact that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, we understand is the only way, the only door. Another example, Revelation chapter 12, uh, which we'll cover in several, I was going to say weeks, months from now. Uh, Revelation 12, it speaks about the devil. It, it talks, it pictures the devil as a dragon. Now understand, a lot of folks dismiss it. Well, that's symbolic. We'll just dismiss that. No, it's symbolic, but don't dismiss it. A literal truth is there. Now it pictures Satan as a dragon. That doesn't mean that there's not a real devil, nor does it mean that the devil is really a dragon. But the truth is that there is a devil. He is vicious, he is evil, and he is powerful, just like a dragon. So John first gives us some identifications to prepare us to help us understand and interpret the book uh, correctly. Notice the second thing John gives us is a, is a wonderful invocation. Look at verse 3. It says, Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. The word blessed, that's the same word that Jesus used in the Beatitudes. And the word blessed, it, it literally means happy or, or joyful. So this is the only book in the Bible that begins with a promise to bless the reader. And you realize it's the only book in the Bible that ends with a promise to bless the reader. In uh, uh, Revelation 22, 7, it, ends, it talks about that. So there's a threefold promise of blessing given to those who properly handle this book. So let's talk about that. The first blessing. There's a blessing uh, uh, to honor those who honor this book. <coughs> Look at, at uh, verse 3 again. Blessed is he that reads. Now, let me tell you and kind of repeat it in a different way what I said earlier. A good test of whether or not you're truly saved is how do you respond to the book of Revelation when you read it. Does reading the book of Revelation bless you or does it burden you? When you read this book, do you dread the second coming or do you desire the second coming? Look at that word read or readeth. It refers to reading out loud. So let me explain what it's talking about. It really refers to the preacher. It's talking about the one who will take this book and preach it publicly. So God promises He will and who will preach this book. So now you got me. I'll confess. I do have a self-motive for preaching through the book of Revelation because I know I'm going to get blessed. Whether you're blessed or not, I'm going to get blessed because God's already promised it. In fact, I'm going to be honest with you. I can't believe that sometimes I get to do what I do so much. Because I get such a blessing, folks, out of preaching God's wonderful, infallible Word. Think about the blessings that come from God's Word. There's the blessing of meeting needs. There's the blessing of giving guidance. There's the blessing of uh, equipping the saints. Folks, it's a true blessing. I'm going to be blessed. I'm going to be strengthened. I'm going to be encouraged and inspired as I preach this book. And when I get opportunities, I encourage my fellow pastors and preachers to preach through this book. You say, but you've been here for five and a half years. This is the first time you preached through it. You're absolutely right. I was at one church and I never preached through it. You say, why? You don't need to know why. 
But I'll tell you, in five and a half I believe you've been well-rounded in God. Old Testament, maybe not. So it's time. That's the reason we're going through this book starting tonight. <clears throat> God promises a blessing. But secondly, he says it'll be a blessing not only to those who read the book, but also those who hear the book, who hear the words of this prophecy. This book, and here's the thing about the book of Revelation, it is so powerful and practical, it will, it will encourage you just by hearing it. That's what God's Word says. It will comfort you and strengthen you just by hearing God's Word. This book ought to be preached for no other reason, folks, than for the fact the church is going to get blessed in hearing it. Now, I'm telling you, that comforts me. You know why that comforts me? That helps me know that even if my interpretation uh, at times may not be totally 100% correct, you know, maybe I get one of the sequences or events off just a little bit. Uh, or maybe, you know, I'll, I'll see the beast in Revelation. Uh, oh, I'll, I'll see the beast as somebody's mother-in-law instead of the Antichrist. Don't worry about that. It's not, I know it's the beast, okay? But this is the point I'm getting at, folks. Regardless of whether or not I misinterpret the toenail on the third toe of the beast's left foot, I'm still going to know that you're going to be blessed and I'm going to be blessed from reading and hearing this book. That's what I'm getting at. So many times, again, we get so wound up and wrapped up in the little bitty insignificant details. You know, it's like the old saying, you miss the forest for the trees. Don't do that. Remember again, it's all about Jesus. Also, there's a blessing to those who obey this book. A blessing is promised to those who keep those things which are written therein. That word keep, that's what it means. It literally means to obey. Have you thought about the fact that this book of Revelation is not just a prophetic book, it's a practical book. Now, I want you to remember something, folks. Prophetic doctrine and practical duty, they always go together. They can never be separated. This book of Revelation is just like the entire Bible, which it's part of. It's not primarily, and stay with me on this, it's not primarily a book to be understood. It's primarily a book to be believed and obeyed. In fact, the more you believe it, the more you obey it. And the more you obey it and believe it, the more you understand it. And then the more you understand it, the more you're going to want to obey it. <clears throat> the truth is, <clears throat> if you study the book of Revelation, and it does not move you to a holier worship, to a deeper walk with God, to a, a, a more energetic work for God, to a happier witness for Christ, then you have missed the real meaning of this book altogether. When we finish this study of the book of Revelation, folks, I don't want, and I'm going to say this as easy as I can, I don't want you stuck with your heads up in the clouds of prophecy. I want you with your feet firmly planted on Tell that the king is coming. I expect to be blessed as I preach. Expect to be blessed as you hear this book, and we can all expect to be blessed as we obey this book. Now, the last thing John shares with us this evening is, is some wonderful, beautiful information, heavenly information. Beginning in verse 4. <clears throat> the apostle gives us a greeting from the, the Trinity, the Holy Trinity. There's a greeting from God the Father. He says, which is, which was, and which is to come. And then notice there's a greeting from God the Spirit. It says, from the seven spirits which are before His throne. Now, seven spirits, that does not mean there are seven Holy Spirits there. 
No, the word, the number seven, and we'll get into some numerology later on throughout this study. But the number seven refers to completeness. It refers to perfection. So it's a reference to God's perfect Holy Spirit. And then notice the last greeting is a greeting from God the Son. <coughs> now, normally, normally God the Son is in the middle when the Trinity is mentioned this way. Usually the Word of God, will you're going to find God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, like, uh, say, like it is in the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28. That's what it says. This is the only time in Scripture where the Trinity is mentioned and Jesus is mentioned last. You say, why is that? Because the reason is, Jesus is mentioned last because he holds a position of honor. He holds a position of honor given to him by the Father and attested by the Spirit. <clears throat> now John, he, John, knowing this, he is, he is just overwhelmed. And he spontaneously moved to give some, some wonderful heavenly information about the Lord Jesus that's revealed here in this book. And we're going to see in days and weeks to come. First, he talks about the fact that he is the reliable Lord. Look at verse 5. Because he calls him the faithful witness. Now, a witness is somebody that bears testimony. John refers in verse 2, look at verse 2, to the testimony of Jesus Christ. So Jesus is a faithful witness. Now, what did Jesus come to witness to? Well, we don't have to wonder about it. Because he told us, John eighteen thirty seven says, For this cause <clears throat> I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Jesus came to bear witness to the truth, because if you know the truth, what? The truth will set you free, right? Well, listen to me. Jesus told the truth, always. He told the truth about self. He told the truth about sin. He told the truth about society. Uh, he told the truth about salvation. And the reason Jesus could bear witness to the truth because He Himself is truth. You know, used to, and I think I've asked Jeff this before, used to, in a court of law, you know, you were asked to swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God. Well, listen to me. Jesus told the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth because He is God. And as God, He cannot lie. When He speaks, He tells the truth, and you can rely on what He says. He's the reliable Lord. But look at the second thing. John says He's the resurrected Lord. Verse 5, He's the firstborn or first begotten from the dead. Now that word firstborn <coughs> or first begotten does not mean first one raised from the dead. Okay, uh, Instead, it means the highest of those raised from the dead. It refers to the priority, to the sovereignty of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, I mean, you know this, he was not the first man to be raised from the dead in the Bible, but he was the first man to be raised from the dead, never to die again. You see, there's only really one true empty grave in the world, and it's there outside the city of Jerusalem. It's a temporary tomb that Jesus rented for three days and then vacated it forever. <clears throat> so the revelation is not the commemoration and I've said, preached on this. It's not the commemoration of a dead Savior. It's a, or a, uh, yeah, a dead Savior. It's a celebration of a sovereign Lord and a risen Lord. Now look at the third way Jesus is described. He's described as the ruling Lord. Again, verse 5. He's called the Prince of the Kings of the Earth. That's how the King James, I don't know what the other English translations say, but I do know it literally means ruler or sovereign. <clears throat> he rules now. Think about this. Right now, here and now, Jesus rules the hearts of His servants, of His subjects in an invisible kingdom. But one day, friend, the Lord Jesus is going to rule over this entire world. And think about it. And I want you to remember this as we study this book. Every event 
that we read about in the book of the Revelation is simply moving all of history toward that one great event. And it's spoken of in Revelation eleven fifteen. We're told the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. You see, folks, the book of Revelation is simply an answer to that part of the Lord's prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Well, it's God's will that one day His Son rule and reign this entire universe. And if you haven't this out yet, let me clue you in on it. God's will is going to be done. It's going to happen. Jesus is going to reign. There's a poem that says, Jesus shall reign where the sun doth its successive journeys run. His kingdom stretch from shore to shore till the moon shall wax and wane no more. He's the ruling Lord, but also He's described as the redeeming Lord. Now what John has done, he first of all, he told us three things that Jesus is. Now He's going to tell us three things that Jesus has done. First of all, He loved us because look at verse 5. Unto Him that loved us. Now, I want you to understand the verb, the actual verbs in the present tense. What does that mean? You know what it means. It connotes continuous action. It gives the idea of continuous action. So, that means that Jesus didn't just love us one time. It means He continually loves us. Continuously loves us. That means He loves us yesterday. loves us today. He's going to love us tomorrow. Jesus loved you before you were created. Jesus created you to love you. Jesus loved you when He died for you. Jesus loves you when He saved you. And Jesus loves you enough to take you to heaven. He loves us. Now, I'm going to say something here. that I, I don't know if I have any boys here. Some of my brethren who are committed Calvinists, they're going to take this the wrong way. But I believe this with all my heart. A sinner may go to hell unsaved, but they'll never go to hell unloved. He loves us. Now, I want you to see verse 5. It says, He loosed us. It says, And washed us from our sins in His own blood. Now, some of the, the, the newer manuscripts actually translate a little better. The word uh, washed is actually loosed or released or freed. And that's what, the reason I say it's better, because that's what the word redemption really means. And that's what's being spoken of. It means to free a slave. Jesus came that he might free us from slavery. Now, I know what you're thinking. You say, wait a minute, preacher. I thought you said back in verse 1, we're slaves of the Lord Jesus Christ. Friend, that's true, but let me, let me tell you something. Let me give you a great secret. Really not a secret, but a great truth to you. We are slaves of the Lord Jesus Christ, but there is liberty, there is freedom in slavery when you have the right master. Sin's not only a stain that, that blinds our eyes, it's a, it's a, folks, it's a chain that binds us. But our redeeming Lord has set us free from sin. He's freed us from the penalty of sin. He, he frees us daily from the power of sin. And one day we're going to see here in the book of Revelation, we're going to be freed from the very presence of sin. Jesus loved us. He loosed us. But also He lifts us up. Because notice what it says in verse 5. Unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Verse 6, I'm sorry. And hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. Kings and priests. Now, have you thought about this, folks? He's made us kings. That refers to our reign with him. Priest, that refers to our righteousness before him and because of him. Because we're kings, let me tell you what that means, and I'll preach on this later on. Because we're kings, we have authority with God. Because we're priests, we have access to God. And I want you to see the very final thing for this evening. Verse 6. He's the glorified Lord. 
Because it says, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, folks, the glory of Jesus, this world didn't see on earth. But one day, the entire universe is going to see the glory of Jesus Christ throughout eternity. When Jesus comes, he's going to rightfully assume his place over all creation as King of kings and Lord of lords. And when he does that, his, his resplendent, radiant glory is going to permeate. It's going to dominate this universe forever and ever. Folks, that's why this book of the Revelation is such a marvelous, wonderful book to study, to read, to preach, to learn. You know, it, it, it's, it's, it's kind of like the little boy I heard about. His mom and dad took him to buy a puppy. Told him he could pick anything he wanted out of this huge litter of puppies. And you know how puppies are. They're all running everywhere. The little boy said, that one, that one right there. That's the one I want right there. They're running everywhere. Mom said, baby, which one? He said, that one. She said, which one? He said, mama, that one. And this little dog was just wagging his tail. He said, that one that has the happy ending. That's the one I want. Listen to me, Christian. The book of the Revelation has the happiest ending of all. The King, King Jesus, is coming. I can't think of anything happier than that. You bow your heads, please. Father, we praise you for your grace and your love. We praise you that, that you... Give your word to us that you have written this love letter to us. And that, Father, when we study with a proper heart and a proper attitude, and, Father, when we humble ourselves before you and study and desire to hear from you, you speak to us through your word. And just like in the book of the Revelation, you can tell us things that are to come. But you also encourage us by the things that are coming. Because we know above all else, Father, the greatest person is coming. Our hope, our blessed hope, our glorious Redeemer, your word tells us, is coming again. Father, I pray as your children that we would take that to heart. And we would not, <clears throat> we would not be disheartened by the world that we live in. But we would continue to shine the light of Jesus Christ. We would allow that light and love of Christ to shine through us in order to tell others that King Jesus is coming again. Father, I pray as we study through this book that we will stay focused on that great truth first and foremost. And I pray that we would, with excitement, look to the day when Jesus comes. In Christ. Amen.